Well, good morning. Let's start again. It is del I am absolutely delighted to be here uh, and teaching. And I actually get to teach three more times and um, in October, so you'll really be tired of me. It's all prehistory. And I, that's very, very important as we begin our study. I'm going to pray in a moment. But prehistory means nobody was around to be a witness. Now, when you study Old Testament scriptures, you begin to realize the importance of the witness and knowing the story and learning the story and repeating it properly. All those things are very, very important. Um, but when you're in prehistory, you're counting on both the Holy Spirit and tradition to put things together. As Jack reminded us, it's a story of how Israel understood their beginnings and their relationship with God. We are engrafted into that, so that's how we also understand our story with God. So let me pray us in, and then we'll walk us through this. Okay, let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you that we get to have an opportunity to study your word together. Lord, as we look at a difficult uh couple of chapters, two and three. It starts so well and ends with such angst, and yet you are at the very midst. You are a God who cares for us, who takes care of us, who indeed um, is present in our lives. So may we embrace this passage today, and as um, after this we go into our small groups, may you lead our small group leaders and facilitators so that we can dive even more deeply into your word. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so quick review. It's attributed to Moses, but as Jack had said last week, you know, he wrote the Pentateuch, and then it records that he died. That is really tricky to do when you're writing high, and then I died, and they buried me here, and I did this. So just know he had lots of help, lots of help. And you got the influence of different, uh, different writers, the wisdom literature, all those kinds of things that added to this over time. It doesn't take away the effectiveness. If anything, it adds to it. But two things I want us to look at today as we go through this. There are different styles within the Pentateuch, especially the first five books. And you could even count it as a hexateuch and include jo Joshua because they're all kind of related with each other. But one of the things that's really important is you get influences from certain groups of people. Priestly were one of those. So last week when you looked at Genesis, you looked at the priestly group. They're very objective. They love numbers. It's very logical. So you have creation. It is in seven days, seven days, seven nights. You have this, and then God rested. And then you have this, and then God rested. And then you had to read this, and in the in between, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good, and then you end up, it's very good. That is very succinct reporting. This is the six o'clock news that we're giving you. Now we're going to go into chapter two and three. It does have some, some priestly, we would call them, you know, there's some order to it, but more importantly, it becomes a narrative, a story, a relationship, and you begin to see a different perspective in Genesis 2 and 3. Same scripture, very, very important, but just the different nuances. It's like going to a football game. And if you go with, uh, are going to baseball with Lois Farley, if you go to a baseball game with my 102-year-old, which we did this summer, let me tell you, if you sit next to her, there is only one topic, and that's who's pitching and who's batting. Do not talk to her about anything else. So everybody else who went 
that wasn't that way stood over there and talked about everything else that they wanted to talk about. Same game, kind of knew what was going on, but for Lois, she did be great at the priestly. Okay, what's her batting average? What's her going on? And all this she loves, she keeps track of, she writes it down now. Um, my friend, Jamie Ginsburg, who came there, never came close to Nana. She goes, I know nothing about baseball. I don't even like it, but I love the fellowship around me. Okay. So you just have to, different nuances, but it's the same context. We're all there together. So let's look at some of these things. It's God's promise to Israel, and comes. Uh, this section comes with both a call to obedience and faithfulness. And that's what we really need to look at. Oftentimes when we look at this, we talk about this is the fall of Adam. We see in the New Testament that Christ comes as a new Adam. He's fulfilling what we continued to fail throughout scripture, and that is to be obedient and faithful. There's a couple things we could work on, and we should work on it. It should be something that is important and that is essential, and that is who we are as believers so that we don't live in cheap grace, which says, I'm a sinner. You know, the devil made me do it. There's nothing else I can do, and I'm so glad we have Jesus, so because I'll be forgiven and things are good. All that has a lot of truth in it, but our relationship with God should change us into one of obedience and faithfulness. And so in the creation, God is doing that. And in the, the relationship that we see today, that is God's call on us. For Israel, we're in a relationship. We're in a covenant with God. Don't forget that. And so... Um, as we look at this and the emphasis that goes on here in that narrative and that relationship, keep that in mind. Okay, so in looking at the fall, we tend to focus on that. We tend to focus on our sinful nature. I really want to focus today on what God was calling humanity and continues to call humanity to do in the relationship. So our focus is on what God is doing and how God is having a relationship with us. Because once again, I think we get caught up, and we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about the serpent. Is it evil? Is it Satan? Is it this? Is it that? It's secondary. It's secondary to the story of God's redemptive work for us. It's secondary to God who calls us into relationship and wants us to be in relationship, an obedient relationship with him. Does that make sense? because we get distracted that way. Then we do those goofy things like, well, I just can't help it, you know, it's my sinful nature. Um, let's look at what God really wants us to do. Uh, it's a gospel of good news uh, to the community of faith, calling us into community, and living in the presence of God who is always faithful. And that's what we need to really focus on, okay? Um, let me just... I love the fact that last week Jack just kind of read the whole scripture. And so if you just will um, let me do that. It begins in 2-4-B, which means that that before the second part of B, it's talking about all that priestly creation. You know, and God did this, and then he rested, and it was good, and then he, you know, and he had the... And then you have what looks like a whole nother... Uh, creation stories. Like there are two creation stories, but really it's a continuation, an explanation, an unfolding. There are differences in it. So we see in the one that we have, and God created um, man, male and female, created them together, 
And then all of a sudden we see like this new creation coming in two where God is continuing in that story. So I want us to keep that in mind when we look at it. It's not secondary. Be very, very careful that you don't go, well, it's just an afterthought or it's just this or just that. Um, because if you look at the first creation, it just gets better and better, right? Like man is, humanity is the last thing God makes. So if you want to go with it, go, well, of course, woman is the last thing God makes. You know, it just is getting better. So don't do that. Tempting, tempting, don't do that. All right. 4B, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no plant of the field was yet in the earth and no herb of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was no one to till the ground. But a stream would rise from the earth and water the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord God made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, 10 through 14 here is just kind of, you're never going to get in a map today and say, okay, here's where Eden is. Don't. Don't lose yourself in trying to do that. The point of, of this is talking about the rivers is probably saying this is how the land got nourished. And that's one of those little interjections that you see going in there just to help us understand that God is going to take care of everything. So 10 through 14, a river flows out of Eden to the water to water the garden. And from there, it divides and becomes four branches. The name of the first is Pishon, which is the one that flows around the whole land of Havilah where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Um, Bedlam, Bedlam and Onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one that flows around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Tigris, which flows east of Assyria, and the fourth river is the Euphrates. Now, some of those rivers we've heard about, but don't go look on a map and say, I'm going to find Eden for you, and we can go back and dig it up the way they do in Egypt with all the you know, let's go to the pyramids and figure out what's going on. Okay. Okay. Then the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to till it. And the man commanded and said, you may eat freely of every tree of the garden, but the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, you shall die. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper as a partner. So out of the ground, the Lord formed every animal of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. Now, I'm not sure if God created dogs at that time, because as we know, dogs are man's best friend. <laughs> and it might have just stopped there, just my, my comment anyway. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the air and to every animal of the field. But for the man, there was not found a helper as his partner. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman for out of man, this one was taken. Therefore, a man leaves his father and mother and clings to his wife and they become one flesh. And the man and his wife were naked and were not ashamed. 
Verse 24 is a covenant. That is one of the first covenants that we see. A man shall leave his mother and father and cling to his wife. So there is this covenant language that we see there. And then very important to know that they were naked and not ashamed. Okay? Verse 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, Did God say, You shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the tree of the fruits in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, or shall you touch it, or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, You shall not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eye, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Point number two. He's with her. He's with her. He doesn't walk up in the conversation. He is with her during the conversation that she's just had. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed the leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And the man and his wife had hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden, but the Lord called the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to me to be with me, she gave me the fruit from the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent tricked me, and I ate. And the Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you among all the animals and among all wild creatures. Upon your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pangs in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children, yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to the man he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. Ash Wednesday moment for you all there. The man named his wife Eve, because she was a mother of all living. And the Lord God made garments of skins for the man and for his wife, and clothed them. Then the Lord said, See, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a sword flaming and turning to guard the way to the tree of life. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, thank you for letting me read it. It's important. Let me go back and unpack it some. I want to first and foremost give a lot of credit to Walter Brueggemann. 
who really helped me think, I need to look at this a little bit differently. And then um, he, along with some other folks, have really put the context of, of these two chapters in, um, in an order which talks about the way in which God calls us and relates with us. And again, the focus is going to be on that relationship with God and us and how our, our choice has changed that, but how God is still a redemptive God. So there you go. You can go home now. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. So God creates man totally, totally man is dependent on God. So that's the first thing that you want to see. And I'm at the narrative right now at the beginning of your notes if you want to follow. Man is a creature. He's not the creator. Now we have a creative being and who we are. We can create things, but we are not the creator. God is a creator. Man is the creature. And God provides all that is necessary in the garden. The reference to the rivers, again, um, is just a reference to them that that's where the, there was no rain yet, so that's where they got the nourishment for the soil and everything else, so that's mentioned in there. Again, that's kind of a priestly thing. Okay, just want you to know it's all in order here. It's all taken care of. But the narrative is the predominant part of this. Two trees are identified, um, and they have, first and foremost, and this is the key, they establish for us boundaries and obedience. Now, if you are a physics teacher, you're going to teach boundaries. Julie Andrews, how many of you know that, you know, love, is she not, she's an incredible voice. Julie Andrews can no longer sing, not just because of her age, but the way she used to because she did not listen to the boundaries of her own voice. She strained her vocal cords and ruined them. Now, in comparison, especially with me, she's got a phenomenal voice, but it is limited now. We all have boundaries. I love it when they're working on a road and, you know, like they have all the box dots or they have the lines or something else that they're working and they're all gone and you have two lanes or four lanes and it is the craziest thing you've ever seen and you're thinking, where are the lines on the road because I'm, I'm living dangerously trying to drive? Or they've just done it, you know, put new tarmac on a parking lot and they don't have the, the lines in there. So you have 200 parking places that are now good for about 50 because of the way people park without those boundaries. Do we get that? And then obedience. Sometimes I wonder if people see those lines when I pull in here, myself included. Okay, obedience. God is calling his creation to obedience. So there are boundaries and a call of obedience. And that's what he presents to them. The tree of life um, can be referenced in Proverbs for righteousness, and in Revelations 2, 7 signifies a fellowship with God that we have in our obedience to God. So in creating humanity, God gives criteria to man. So what's the first thing he tells them to do? You've got work to do. I keep telling people this. Work is pre Sin, it's pre-fall, it's a gift and a call, it's a vocation. So my husband is probably busier than I am, and he's fully retired. He's a retired psychologist, which he's only very slow, slow um, finishing off of his career, but he, he no longer renewed his license. 
So don't ask him advice anymore. He can't give it to you. <laughs> but he is the he's he's really really busy. So he comes home from the park today. And I go, wow, you were there a long time. He goes, well, I met a young man who's just struggling, and he said I had an opportunity to share with him. You know, yes, we've been through a lot in life and a lot of things. He said, but my faith has sustained me, and I just think you know. And then I gave him a, a honeydew list of can you do this for the lawn and can you do this and do this. So Rick keeps very, very busy, but he's totally, totally retired. So there's no such thing as retirement that we think of. We're given work and it is good. So the vocation. And then he gives him permission. Eat anything you want in the garden. And all that I have given you will sustain you. Meat eaters, it comes later. It comes after the flood. You get to eat your meat, not before then, if you look at scripture. So here you go. Everything that you need is provided for you. Permission. And then the one prohibition. Don't touch those trees. Don't eat. Not touch. Don't eat of those trees. Here is that boundary. Trust me on this. It is a trust issue. It is, it is an obedience issue. So he gives that to um, the man, and then he figures out that man is... Um, and that's kind of the the covenant that God establishes with human with humankind, humanity, and him and God is that here are the things I'm providing. I'm calling you and equipping you to have a vocation, giving you permission, but also a prohibition. This is our covenant. This is what we've made together. Now the man gives it to the woman, and either she didn't listen well or he didn't teach well because. By the time it comes to her conversation with a serpent, she's, she's adding to the story, right? So then man, the creation of a helper, and again, this is a continuation. This is a, in a sense, a new creation, but a fulfillment of God who wants to provide everything we need. So man needs a helper. So then he creates all these animals. Again, different order. Order is not important for the, for the um, Yahweh, the J. The Yahwist is the narrative, folks. That's not what's important. What's important is the relational part. Man needs help. It's not good that he be that he's alone. So he tries all these animals. So even the dog's best friend apparently didn't make it. He needs a companion. He needs bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And so out of that, he creates woman. Now, when I was younger, I thought that man had like male had one fewer ribs than women. Not You know how you try and do that? You add to scripture whatever you think you need to do to make it, no, it's, we all have the same ribs. Um, but God creates, and there's that language. You know, he breathes breath into man, and then he creates woman. The word helper is used many times in scripture, but at least seven times with God as our helper. None of us would say we're better than God, hopefully, <laughs> that, that we're greater than God. So do you understand? The helper, and I always think of it this way, that woman is taken from the side of man, not at his feet, not at his head, but as a helper. And before sin entered into the world, and before the, the judgment of God, you have equality, you have equity, you have, you have um, a relationship that is perfected and the same, one that helps one another. And that was God's intention. So this is what I've given. So he creates woman um, 
in this new creation, he establishes that covenant, and that's where he said, a man shall leave his mother and father and cling to his wife, and the two will become one. And they are naked, and they're not ashamed. And then um, it, it moves from there. <laughs> so all is good in the garden, right? It looks really, it's really, really good. They have their marching orders. They have parameters. They have permission. They have everything that they need. And then enters uh, what we call chapter three. And it becomes um, the great tragedy. Because it begins to turn the faithfulness that God calls Adam and Eve to, to one of objectivity. It moves for what is required into an option. And that's the beginning of the unraveling. So as we look at this, and again, the issue is one of faithful obedience to God. How often do we try and negotiate what that faithfulness will look like in our own lives? So it's this faithful obedience Again, you have the covenant of vocation, permission, and prohibition. These words are used in other areas, but Brueggemann put it together, and, and just I really want to give that man credit for that. Um, the focus in this really is not on the serpent, and I think that's the first mistake we make, because we figure out if we could, oh, if the serpent just weren't there, or if the snake wasn't there, or if evil, you know, it would all, would all just be okay. You lose the covenant that God has called us to, to be faithful and obedient. We've always said, well, if Adam, that Adam didn't do it, just give us time. Look at the Ten Commandments, and before you, you know, before you get out of bed, I can obey those really well, pretty much. You know, <laughs> I just woke up, I'm doing really, really well. About five minutes later, hmm, you know, it's an impossible thing. We need that obedience, yes, to call us to work towards it, but the faithfulness that God is doing to work in us. So you have the deceiver is the... Um, only a tool, only a tool. It's not the main object of this lesson right here. Um, the subject in this is Adam and Eve. And, um, and as we look at this, we're going to look at the trust, the obedience, and the faithfulness, and the dialogue. So the argument um, goes against the prohibition of 2.17. Don't eat of the tree. I put these here. Don't eat of them. Even though they look good, they look tasty, they look like everything that we need. Um, kind of like uh, we see, boy, it looks good, so I want it. So it must be okay because it appeals to me. Don't do that. Um, but Satan turns it around to be optional. So it moves from do not do this to, well, you could do this. It's an option for you. You could choose to, to take it or not take it. And so he uses that in a conversation with Eve, and it avoids the claim that God has given. So now God has become also not the central for He's just an object rather than the one to trust and obey, rather than the person, rather than the God who is the creator. Oh, he's just an object. It's just, a, it's just an option for you out there. And then as a third person... God is no longer central to the discussion. Do you see how that happens in there? Satan just goes, oh, let's just talk about the tree. Let's not talk about the one who created it or the one who put you here or the one who's provided every single thing that you need and even given you a calling in life. Let's just put that aside. Let's just talk about the subject of the tree and objectify God.
So the dialogue incorrectly changes God's prohibition to an option and, um, and uses it. it. In fact, she kind of, when Eve responded, the first theologian in the Bible recorded, she takes what is known and changes it. Now, once again, maybe she wasn't instructed well. Maybe she wasn't listening well. Maybe she just wants to keep in dialogue in her own mind about what it is that I can and cannot do. So she adds to it. She adds that, that it's become a threat, not that you shouldn't just eat it, which takes, you know, you, you have to do, if you've, we have a lemon tree, and if the lemons are ripe, I only have to twist them a couple times to get them off, but I, it's a little work. If they're not quite ready, in about the fifth twist, I'm going, let it go, just let it ripen a little more. So there's an action there to touch it. You could brush against it, you could do something else, so it becomes one of a threat. Do you see how that changes in the way that she describes it? So all of a sudden the tree is just not a prohibition, it's a threat, never intended. It's merely a boundary. It's merely a call to faithfulness. It's a call to obedience. So God is misquoted by the serpent and then the woman in her attempt to correct him misquotes God and uh, the prohibition is violated in the eating of it. It's altered when he said, God didn't mean that. That's not what God meant. So you just take God out of it. You know, um, when you're having a conversation and you're trying to say, well, so-and-so said such and such, and all you need, we're different than the culture of the Middle East, but the best thing to do is go to the source. Tell me again what it was you said. <laughs> Or let's go back and say, what was it that we were exactly told? Not let's see how we can change it or alter it or massage it a little bit. But what is it that is said? They ignore. Permission is altered. Vocation, so this is what happens. So as soon as they each eat, the last work they do that we see in this passage is that they do a poor attempt of making coverings for their bodies. Because all of a sudden, guess what? They see they're naked and they are ashamed. Verse 25, chapter 2. They were naked and not ashamed. As soon as they ate, as soon as that knowledge, all of a sudden they are exposed. And it's not just an outside exposure. Everything in them, who they are, is now exposed to them in their decay. And anything that decays dies. So they've just altered this by their choice of forgetting, of, of violating the prohibition, of changing what they have permission to do, and then ignoring, all of a sudden they're ignoring their vocation. So the three things that God had given to them is no longer on the table for them. Those boundaries have all been breached now because of the decision that they make. And once again, the consequences of ignoring obedience with God, the boundaries and the trust move us from freedom to terror. Because what did they do? Not only are they seeing themselves exposed, trying to hide that, they go into hiding. So in this next section, the 18 through 24, which are 8 through 24, chapter 3, which finishes this out, um, you see how the power of guilt takes over life. Ever been in that situation where you feel so guilty about something that it just takes over everything in your life? That's exactly what happens. So they note their nakedness, 
and the shame they hide. And these, again, are signs of, of decay and death. Um, they wanted knowledge over trust, trusting God, and the consequences left them in fear, shame, and guilt. So God, by the way, still reigns. All of a sudden, we think now all of humanity and all of life and all of creation is now in the hands of broken humanity. No, that would, that would be a great tragedy. God of the universe still reigns. God is still in control. So God is walking in the garden. Don't you love it? He's walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Nice breeze out there. I mean, if that's not a near, if that's not the Yahweh, the God who is personal, the God is a relationship. But here's the problem. What should be wonderful. Don't we all want? And I mean, I imagine in heaven that we'll walk along in the cool of the day with God that there is a sense of relationship, that it's a pleasant, it's a pleasant thought. Not so much for Adam and Eve. They're like, let's go hide in the bushes. They are, they are filled with terror. So God enters, and he begins his trial. And he's the one presiding over the trial. And in verse 10 through 13, the defense of Adam and Eve come. And this is the blame game guilt. It's your fault <laughs> that that you didn't do this. It's not my fault. So Adam, Adam, remember who was with her? It's not my fault. She gave it. She gave me. She gave me the fruit. So I ate. God turns to him. It's not my fault. The serpent made me do it. <laughs> it's like everybody, and we're always doing that. Whenever we're guilty, as long as we can find a scapegoat, find somebody else to blame, and the language becomes I. It becomes very self-centered. If you look back at that and you go um, in, in verse 3, um, I commanded you not to eat, and the man said, the woman made me do it, and so I ate, and then I ate, and then I, and the serpent made me do it, and I ate what the serpent gave me, and I hid, and, and all these things are now centered on man when before he had an opportunity to take care of the earth to make sure that it was tilled, to have a vocation. He could eat anything he wanted, just ignore, don't go eat from that tree. It's all been changed. And so all of a sudden, what was focused all outwards is now focused inward, and I hid myself. So death follows guilt that violates boundaries. Now, here's the amazing thing is they should have dropped dead right then. Doesn't the language kind of speak to that when you read that? You eat, you die. You eat of the tree of knowledge, and you die. But something changes here. Now, it's a very, very harsh, the last, you know, that the um, almost poetic scripture in there that starts, um, the Lord said to the serpent, and he begins this whole, here is the judgment. That these are the consequences of what happens. And God begins to unpack that. And you see in that, that decay of all that was supposed to be good is now falling apart. By the way, the biggest issue I have, people go, death is a natural process in life. I go, not before the fall, <laughs> not before sin came in. But now hold that thought because when it comes to the end and he goes, we're going to kick them out of here because they're, otherwise they're going to eat from the tree of life and live forever. There's a good reason for that, and I'll tell you why in a moment from my perspective. Um, so the consequences of their behavior, this is kind of the Dostoevsky's crime and punishment. You know, you do something and this is what happens to it. 
but God does not kill them. That's it. They will die natural deaths of old age or other things, but, but they should have eaten and dropped dead, but God doesn't do that. Instead, he, he gives them a desire, even though it becomes, or he gives them, not a desire, he gives them a new, here is your new life now, and there are consequences of that. So for the serpent, you're on the ground, you're eating the dust. For woman, um, he distorts the relationship that was so perfect, the equality, the caring. Your desire is going to be for your husband, um, and you're going to increase in childbirth, and he's going to rule over you. The ruling is not the way that we think about it, but there is a change in the order there where the helpmate change. Christ is redemptive in that. So we can either live a life of sin or we can live a life redeemed again where our relationships are being put back together day by day with love and respect and care. But And it's so funny because I think ever since women started having children, we've worked really, really hard to minimize that pain in childbirth, right? <laughs> they have drugs, we have coaches, we have all these, you know, kind of things. And at the end of the day, we're like, wow, I can't believe I had more than one of these, remembering what that was like. Okay, so the desire is disordered, and then, folks, grace abounds. Grace absolutely abounds. It will be a difficult life, but I'm still going to be your God. I'm still going to be in relationship with you. You will die a natural death, but you, are, you will not drop dead right now. And there are consequences, but I will still be your God and I will still be with you. Now, here's the deal. What does God do for them? Here's a sign. Uh, God puts garments on them. Once he says, you know, to dust, uh, you were taken from dust, you're going to return to dust. And, he, and then the man named his wife Eve gives her a name because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made garments of skin for the man and for his wife and clothed them. They have ruined all of creation. And you're going to take care of them? Well, yeah, because that's who our God is. Our God is a gracious God. Our God is a loving God. Our God is a forgiving God, even in consequences, both logical and natural. A logical consequence is when you don't follow the boundaries of the road and you go to the other side on an oncoming car. There are logical consequences of what's going to happen. There are uh, consequences in our lives that are also a natural consequence. One is logical, the other is, well, the natural is the car driving, and the logical consequence is if you come home after curfew, you probably will not have the car the next time. That worked really well with our kids. We did it once, and it didn't happen again. That's a very logical consequence, that if you don't obey, this is taken away. If you don't do this, this is, those are just boundaries that we all live in. But God closed them. And then he takes them out of this gorgeous garden. But the reason why is he, if they eat of the tree of life, they will live forever. Now, I'm older than I've ever been. <laughs> and 30 years from now, I hope I get to say I'm older than I've ever been. So I hope, you know, that God blesses me with a long and fruitful life. Um, but my body doesn't work the same as it used to. Can you imagine living forever in decay? Boy, talk about a punishment. Death becomes a gift at the end because we rest from our labor. It wasn't part of creation. 
but even God has taken death, especially in his son, Jesus Christ, that brutal death that has given us life. And even in our dying, we live because we live in Christ. So a God who gives us boundaries is good. A God who calls us to obedience is good. A God who says, trust me, is good. But a God full of grace is also good. And we live in that tension. But it's a good tension because God is with us and gives, gives to us all that we need. Okay? Questions? And we have microphones. You can't take my microphone. Then you're only going to have one. So Francie has a microphone. You're going to speak into the microphone if you have a question. Oh, we have two. We have three of them. Oh, my gosh. So when you do the microphone, you see, Stephanie, how I'm holding this microphone? Hold it right by your chin. There you go. In, in my years of, of studying childbirth, um, at one point when they translated, I, I was told that when they translated some of this, when they said that women will now bring forth children in pain, with pain, the original word was travai or labor Travail. or work. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily pain, but the male-dominated <laughs> world said, no, it's got to be pain. So it, can mm. you confirm that? Was, it, was that yeah, in translation? Yeah, I think, you know, it, Hebrew that, travail would be... work and pain. Yeah, travail would be very, very good. And if you look at Romans, the whole world is groaning in travail. Yeah groaning in pain for a new creation. And so we want to remember that, that in Romans, you look at all that's going on in, in the scripture and in this text, that we do long for a new heaven and a new earth. So travail is very good, but I've got news for you. Even though I'm like, no drugs, natural, you know, I, if there's one thing I can do, it's have babies, great. <laughs> the doctor said, you should have 10 kids. I go, I need a new doctor, thank you. We're not doing this guy. But um, it wasn't without pain and travail. But yes, and there's a lot of travail when you are birthing that. There's a lot of travail to our earth. So that's a good word. Thank you, Stephanie. Other questions? Yes, Nancy. Nancy is a Stephen leader. If you're interested in Stephen ministry, she's your person. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to understand how um, the serpent is a tool. Um, doesn't that imply that God had something to do with their disobedience. Say that again, Nat. Um, you were just saying that the serpent is just a tool um, in the uh, deception of Adam and Eve. Uh, so doesn't that imply that God intended the serpent to um, um, deceive I don't them? know if it has to imply that. I, the, the purpose of that is to say... Don't focus on the serpent. Don't try and figure it out. Okay. Like, who is the serpent? It's really all the serpents. How many of us have said, well, Satan made me do that? That really comes from the scripture. But God is a creator of all that there is. God creates us with this free will. And so... Um, so you're saying to just think of, think uh, of it as a tool. Don't get think of him up, yeah. as a tool. Yeah. Don't get caught up on, it's all about the serpent. It's not. It's about obedience to God. It's about the boundaries that God gives to us to trust him. There's good reasons for that. Uh, decay and death are not a, a, good, a, a good thing. Though out of, you know, out of decay and death comes life. And I want us to remember that. Even as we look uh, 
in 07, and, and God willing, we'll never, Lord, please, have the fires that we had in 07 that ran through here. But if afterwards you walked along, you saw rebirth out of the ashes. That's a God thing. That's really a God thing. So anyway, it's just to say, don't get, don't get caught up on, on this, uh, this way that they're explaining, the way that they're trying to show that God calls us into obedience. And in Deuteronomy, it's, not, like, it's just too hard. We can never do it. But in Deuteronomy, it really talks about working towards being obedient, trusting God. And when you trust God, it makes it a heck of a lot easier than when you're trying to negotiate, <laughs> you're trying to bargain, you're trying to minimize, you're trying to objectify who God is there. So, but good question. Thank you. Any other? No question? Oh, wait, one more question over here. Something that really listening to this hit me that how much God really loves us. Because originally he told Adam, it doesn't say Eve was standing there next to him. That's, that's something else. No, that was before Eve got there. Yeah. So Adam must have told Eve, that Eve to Eve that as well. But God told him not to eat and that he would die if he ate the fruit. They went ahead and ate the fruit. But God changed his mind because he loved us so much he didn't want to see his creation end. Yeah, I don't know if I would even, I, I'm always careful to try and decide what God is thinking. So to say God changed his mind, I'm not yeah. sure I would use that language. Um, uh, yeah. What I do know yeah. is that God is a redemptive God. Yeah. And that, you know, we're going to see humanity's incredible ability to um, not fail forward, <laughs> but to continue to, to fall. And I get, I get really all the fun scriptures, so I'll come back and walk you through, I think, the, um, the flood and all the way up to, to before Abraham and, and history begins. But you're going to see this, the corruption of, of the world and of uh, humanity and of God's redemptive work. Um, but that is God's choice. And when he said, surely you shall die, the inference is that you shall die straight away. Um, so mm. God brings them to, to trial, and they do die. They do not avoid death. It's a matter of when ah. death. So to change his mind, might, might say, oh, no, go ahead, eat of the tree of life. And, we're, and this is like, um, you ever want forgiveness and, and no consequences? That's the best. And that, that would have been a change of mind. A change of mind would have been, go ahead and sin, and there are no consequences. Years ago, our son, Jordan, who's our oldest son, um, worked at Vaughn's, and he was a bagger. And he really, really liked it. But there was a woman who was a checker there who didn't really like Jordan. I don't know if she liked, didn't like Jordan because she didn't like working with someone who um, had Down syndrome or she didn't like Jordan because he was beloved, but you know, he's a lovable kid. But they just didn't get along. So at one point, Jordan said to her, and he always has a job coach there, I Lion King, you Scarface, you bad, I kill you. He lost his job. And they brought him to our home, and I'll never forget, he's sitting in our living room, and his countenance is dropped, and he just keeps saying, 
I'm so sorry, Mama. I'm so sorry. I won't do it again. I'm so sorry. All I could say to him is, honey, I'm sorry also. But there are rules, and, and he could not get that job back. Now, trust me, as a mother, I'm thinking he threatened somebody with a cartoon, and he loses his job. That's the, this is after 9-11, folks. Cannot do that. Now, thanks be to God, he works at MCRD, and he loves it even more. So there you go. One thing I want to add to what I had said is that I never thought about my human mind thinks that you eat the fruit, you'll die instantly. But you enlightened me by saying you, that he's, yes, he, that we will die, but the time is. Right, and it does yeah. seem that we should die straight away. Yeah. Um, but I just don't want to say that I think God did. You know, no, yeah, really he didn't change his mind. It's um, I that changed he delayed. my mind. Maybe he delayed, he delayed the consequences of what was going on. But he also, again, what I want us to walk out of with is, um, is the fact that we have a God who walks with us, who loves us, who created us to be in relationship, to trust him, to have faith in him. And with that does come boundaries that give you life. And not just mediocre life, but life abundant. Trust God in that. That's, that's the call here, folks. Trust God. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May God's face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May you have an awesome time in your small groups.